Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast. Episode 10, The Retailer's View, What Sells, What Doesn't, and Why. Recorded at Metatopia 2012 by Jason Pitt. Presented by Jim Crocker and Brian Dalrymple. So we have a wealth of uh, retailing experience between us, uh, Jim. I think I've got less of a wealth than you, because I won't own my store for 10 years. But um, uh, I'm Jim Crocker. I own a, a, a store named, uh, called Modern Myths in Northampton, Massachusetts. I just opened a second location in Mamaroneck, New York. So that's in uh, Westchester, just north of the city. So that expansion literally just happened. We planned a, a big Halloween day opening thing, which looked like, which which seemed like a genius idea a month ago, but <laughs> a week ago it turned out to be a pretty a pretty lousy idea. But it's the store is open and up and running, and so I've um, I've owned my store and done the buying and managing of that store for ten years. Before that, for four or five years, uh, I I did the same job for someone else for a couple of stores in the uh, Ann Arbor, Lansing, Michigan area. And prior to that, I worked uh, for Borders, for the corporate book chain. I was in their um, uh, corporate offices as a vendor liaison. Uh, and before that, I worked in the stores uh, as a, the inventory manager. So. Prior to working in the store I work at now, <clears throat> I worked briefly for the managers. So you guys might know if you're this way, uh, in their South Florida store. And before that, I worked at uh, a music store. So, um, oh, and currently, and one of the reasons why I am here uh, is I started a publishing company a couple of years ago, uh, and I'm here uh, to talk game design and personal products that those are to launch We've had one product in the distribution chain for two years, uh, a, an accessory for Pathfinder that's uh, sold about 4,000 units. I also do graphic design and layout for a number of game companies and businesses that are local to me. I'm the program guides for the program for, for Gamma, for the shows that we do. Uh, I've done packaging for uh, Game Science, which is a nice company. Uh, I've done ads for Mayfair and for EG. Uh, so uh, we have a lot of parts of the game industry covered, but principally, Buying and selling games is something we both really well. Jim is, uh, is the chair of the uh, retail, uh, the, 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 uh, the role-playing role jury. Well, I, not the chair, but I've, I've been on the Origins Awards role-playing jury for the last several years, four or five years. Um, I have a very close relationship with Indie Press Revolution, the, the Indie Press role-playing folks, and we rep most of their stuff these days in the Northeast. Uh, we sell them at these three shows, and they want us to do packs and stuff like that. So my principal interest is in uh, kind of the the, the, the role playing end of the hobby, and that's something that I've had a real passion for and <coughs> try to keep up on. You know, like like a lot of kind of cutting edge indie small press stuff as well as the regular mainstream role playing stuff. So that's my main area of interest. There's, there's a program that you've been doing that, uh, 
Yes, something called uh, indie, the Indie Games on Demand program, which is something that happens at several different shows all around the country. There's a Gen Con version of it, there's an Origins version of it, there are a couple of PAX versions of it, but I am in charge of organizing and making sure that the Origins version of that happens. And that involves coordinating game masters, small press game designers, and you know making sure everything runs smoothly, that people can come in, and it, essentially it's, it's, a, it's a session of pick-up role-playing games. Uh, but that happens in the con setting, so that people don't necessarily need to be ticketed. They can come in. The mandate is that you know every game that everybody runs has to be something that they can uh, uh, teach to someone who's never played a role-playing game before. Not necessarily just they haven't played that game. They have to be prepared that at any given time, someone sitting at their table is brand new role-playing, and that's and that's kind of you know a very aggressive effort that we're making to try and break down the barriers to that hobby, which can be seen as a very tough thing. So well, we both know role playing games really well. Both of our shops also carry a wide variety of board games and interest games and lots of other things. We just both have a lot of experience with them. So, um, how many of you guys are, are publishers? Are there publishers, designers? Other? Okay, so publishers and designers. Uh, and role playing games, show event, board games, or card games. Okay, great. So we've got to do some pictures of board game cards, I think. All right, so the, the title of this seminar is the Retailer's Perspective, Games that Sell, and What Sells, What Doesn't Apply. Um, so I guess I'll, I'll try to kick it off. I don't know if you've ever had a chance to kind of level on this. Go ahead. Uh, okay, so I've made a little list just ahead of this, checking myself out a little. What, what games sell? Speaking of, from a very simplistic standpoint, the games that sell best are the games that people are actually playing. Because people that play games play games that other people, they turn them on the games and get more customers that way. So that's your top selling category of games that people actually play a lot. Uh, to get somebody to play a game that hasn't played it before, the game has to be played for them. So the games that are demoed, uh, games that get uh, demoed at conventions, in stores, and other places, uh, lead to players, which lead to other players, and there's a nice viral frame going on, but it's going to be just a little bit the same way. Uh, barring the ability to actually have people come in and play games in your shop as a retailer, and, or company who will come in and pitch and demo games, <coughs> it's incumbent on the retailer to try to recommend or push games uh, that they think are meritorious uh, and, and really cool games that uh, maybe might pass on the radar if it was just an so, uh, games that get pushed or recommended by retailers sell better in a retail shop. Uh, any question? Yeah, what kind of level of communication do you maintain with your customer base? Do you send out a newsletter that here are some cool new games that are coming out, and here's our calendar of these store events and demos, that kind of stuff? In the olden days, we used to do newsletter, uh, and then we went to the website, and then we discovered that. Uh, nobody was going to our website, and everybody was going to our Facebook, and we started pushing everything on Facebook. So when I can, I try to actually photograph it when it comes into the shop on a receiving day and put it on Facebook. And if I know something about the game, I'll try to say something about it. Uh, barring that, when somebody comes in, I will go over. If I, if I can discern what their interests are, I'm usually asked, but I don't know already. Uh, <clears throat> I'll try to point them in the direction of things that might kind of fall into their analysis. So, games that are recommended. How does a retailer know? 
what games to recommend? Well, obviously, if we've played them, then we have a pretty good idea. But and although as retailers, we probably get to play more games than just about anybody, uh, different varieties of games, and learning lots of different types of games, you don't get to learn them all. One of the best ways that we can do this to cram a bunch of stuff in is by going to conventions, uh, specifically the Game of Trade Show <coughs> and Origins and the Sugar Open Houses all have big game nights where you can kind of shotgun them with lots and lots and lots of stuff and learn a bunch of things and figure out what you like about it, get the press about other than that, you gotta kind of do your research. I follow the awards very closely, the awards of the awards, the annual awards, uh, the school of the art, and the so, so we know kind of uh, which games we're seeing recognition, not just not necessarily winners, but also these, or when we're close to the process, like the Origins Award, we actually get to see short lists and long lists. Of yeah, and like one of the one things. of the things that's valuable to me as a retailer being involved with those awards, and one of the reasons why it might be why it's worth it to submit to um, uh, uh, to those awards. <coughs> The, um, and particularly, the Origins Awards have something of a reputation as being not as useful or not as interesting as the other awards because they're they're, they're juried, but then they're put out to just kind of the public um, uh, uh, and voted on in a way that some people and you know and not everybody participates. But there's a one of the components of the Origins Awards is that the second round of the, the ballot goes out to the retailers, and all the retailers look at that list and they go around at that GTS show, the trade show, and, you know, some of them, you know, may not have heard of this thing, and so they'll, they'll walk around and look at that. So even if you don't think that, you know, that it's as useful to have, a, to you know, even if, even if you, you know, are not going to slap an Origins Award nominated sticker on the front of your game or something like that, it's worth submitting to, especially if you're role-playing guys, because you can put it in as PDFs, and it'll still get evaluated as if we got the print books. So um, that's the thing that they just started doing um, after being encouraged by a couple of us that, like, you know, that, that we'd get a lot more submissions and we'd get better submissions yeah. that way. The Origins Awards are the, are the oldest game awards. Mm -hmm. uh, they're coming into their 30th year. Uh, and they have, at various times, carried more or less with uh, the Voting procedures tend to uh, shift. Uh, we're going to see another shift in the voting procedures this year, uh, kind of more toward. Uh, the Origins Awards used to be run by the Academy of Adventure Game and Box of Design, uh, which is a subcommittee of the Game Manufacturers Association. It is now going back into the Academy. The Academy is going to be some industry professionals like designers and publishers. Uh, and even uh, I think of myself can actually join and have a, a more of a professional say on games that get. Uh, pushing the awards uh, into the final round of voting. The final round of voting has for the last five years or so been determined by the attendees of the That being said, excellent games are whatever. The, the, the role-playing game selection in particular has been like some really good kind of small to medium press stuff that's won over the last several years that I've been I've been perfectly proud of, of those selections. But at all those awards, the Annie's the Golden Geeks on Board Game Geek, all those things are worth kind of trying to push your content into that kind of into into those awards because that definitely you know we pay attention retailers pay attention to that stuff. Um, and you know if we see something that shows up on three or four lists but we don't know what it is, we'll go. Well, you know what? We're really probably ought to take a look at that. So. The uh, the award that probably generates the most amount of sales. That's a kind of problem. The award that generates the most amount of sales for a product that wins it is the German Game of the Year. Mm -hmm. Spiel the Yard, 
which is going to be summer in Germany. The saying is that more Germans play board games every night than Berlin movies. Uh, so they really, really know their board games. And a lot of the board card games that have come over in the last 10 years or so have been heavily influenced by European design, which is actually based on original American design. And, and we've come to learn that it's a it's an incredibly safe bet that if something that is not translated into English wins as Bill DR, by by next year's essence, somebody will have outbid someone else for that, and that'll be on our shelves within a year. So it'll be, it'll yeah. be something that everyone will If you guys follow board games uh, the last couple of said Dixit and Seven Wonders were last year's winners. They split the award up into kind of a simple game and a gamer's game. So we watch that stuff. Uh, and the, the games that get considered, the games that, that obviously that win, are games that you're definitely going to see on the shelf. And when a customer comes in, we, we'll have to display it. So this is a reward winning game, this is a game that we're talking about. It's fantastic. Even with the premium, we have that basic knowledge, but we usually have that kind of hooked on something. Awesome. So, does the game need to be imprinted for sale before you apply for or submit to these awards? Generally, uh, you would submit the game in the year that it was released. Okay. Uh, well, as Jim said, there are uh, some uh, awards that you could submit kind of advanced electronic uh, prototypes or copies uh, before. It's got to be. Somebody has to have been able to buy it that year in whatever and the, and the any awards, which cover role playing, also have electronic uh, publishing categories. Uh, yeah, uh, PDF only and stuff like that. And the Annie's are very well respected on the RPG side. I mean, that's the thing that people can. Uh, well, it's 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 what people pay attention to, um, and it's what all the publishers, you know, are. Uh, and the other nice thing about the Annie's is there's like a hundred categories, and they give a first and second prize. So it's you know there's a lot of money. And another place we can go to, especially for board games, is a board game that they have a ranking system uh, that ranks every board game listed on there with an overall listing, with a rank in theme, with a rank as what type of game it is, if it's a strategy game. Uh, and you can always rely that the games that are going to be ranked very highly on board games are going to be very solid games. That's a selling point when you purchase a information to the board game. Uh, can the same be said for RPG Geek? Or is it, or is it not there? I I don't pay as much attention to RPG. I don't think they they're they're quite there yet. Yeah. I mean, because like like this certainly as far as awards, the Ennies are what when people know about. And that's what yeah, it's the main the role playing right now. Yeah, yeah. board gamers are kind of fortunate. Board games are kind of miniatures guys are kind of fortunate that they each have pretty much one website, live we go to, that will cover them kind of head to toe. Uh, and role players have. Dozen or more. Yeah. And they can go so There's not really that one kind of place that you can go to. They all hate each other. Yeah, pretty much. They're all right. I'm sorry, I just want to circle back around to Dave's original question. Um, we do, um, Facebook of late has proven to be less useful. Because if you go look at your graph, you'll see that you can see the month that they implemented the we're, we're, we're going to make you start pushing, like actually paying to promote your posts. You know, the views can like that. So we've worked very hard to, we're, we're trying hard to make sure that we're pushing more content out, that we're kind of aggressively soliciting email addresses. And, and, you know, and when we do a Facebook post, it also goes on the website. We also send it out as an email. 
to make sure that it's showing up in people's inboxes because I think Facebook is it's questionable, you know, until they figure out exactly, you know, like people are, you know, there's there's reports out there that people are only seeing like 20% of the posts, you know, that you're putting out and stuff. So that's that's not it's it's not, not an ideal situation. Of the posts that exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and like and every, every now and then reminding people, mm. hey, make sure that you actively bookmark our Facebook page and go to it rather than waiting for them to, you know, send push the push the stuff to you. And we'll try to post often so that that way yeah. we can reach more people. Uh, and a lot of pictures. Pictures are sticky. Uh, and if you guys can send us, uh, uh, at any point in the design process, you can send us pictures. Pictures are great. Um, people playing little videos of, you know, people playing the game, showing us what's going on. Um, if you want, a, if you want a, a real good idea of uh, 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 the kind of thing that gets us excited and that can really help us, uh, go to um, uh, Mayfair Games and look at some of their, both of their uh, like white glove demos that they do. And um, uh, uh, Fantasy Flight just has some amazing promo videos. And those are a couple of, I mean, th now those are kind of obviously high-end, very professionally produced. But as a template, you can do a lot worse than the kind of stuff that they're doing because that, that you know, they, they know what information we need to sell the games and they give us good stuff. Uh, uh, something, something else that would be very interesting to do. Games featured on tabletop. So oh, yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> Well, there's more of those that have been featured on the table are already pretty good numbers already, and they are now very, very good numbers. Uh, and they've consistently kept up their numbers. Uh, okay, so if you've got a game and you want it to get to retail stores, uh, how do you get there? Well, retailers uh, generally deal with distributors. Uh, because if we didn't, we would be calling up 100 different game companies every week and placing 100 different orders and shipping 100 to 100 different times. So generally, we'll place a few orders with some specific suppliers that carry a wide range of products. Where do the distributors get their games from? Well, the publishers will submit their marketing to distributors, and distributors will go out solicit their retailers and say, this is a publisher we're going to be bringing in, this is a game that, we, uh, that they're coming out with. Uh, how many of these are, do you want to buy in three months or six months? Uh, actually comes out. If they get a good favorable thing, they'll come through and they'll place orders. The Game Manufacturers Association puts on the Gamma Trade Show every spring. Game companies that attend the Gamma Trade Show and put their product out there overwhelmingly get their products picked up in distribution. It's overwhelming. I mean, it's, I, I'm trying, wrecking my brain trying to think of products that showed up at the game trade show that did not wind up in distribution, and then in turn did not wind up you know, in stores and shelves. Uh, Gamma.org is the way to reach the Game Manufacturers Association. They are just now starting to put together all of the equipment for this coming game trade show, which is in March. Uh, in Las Vegas, and that about it. Uh, if you can't afford to get to the Game of Trade show and set up a, a booth for your one company or one game that you're trying to push or two or three games, uh, there are a number of fulfillment houses and uh, PR companies that attend the Game of Trade show and represent a large number of uh, publishers are always happy to have those publishers come to the Game of Trade Show and push their products 
person. Uh, there's quite a few of them, including uh, impressions, which is the company that manages free RPG game, which we get to. So, Drive-through has had a booth, uh, and we see uh, we've got the shows on all the we see at all the shows, and they take, also take this to Origins and Nintendo. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Publisher Services International, uh, uh, or PSI, who are responsible for uh, our local parts of Nintendo and Nintendo stuff. But that's what it's definitely other than games like that. And they take a whole road, a whole aisle. Yeah, I mean, PSI is kind of a, they're, they skim the cream off the top. So, because they're selling into mass market, they want stuff that's already proven itself in the hobby market. And they say, well, this is sold X number of units over X amount of time. Uh, uh, we can present this to Barnes & Noble or whatever target as something that, that, that you know, yeah, is viable, has, has proven itself. If you have a game that has mass appeal, you can go to them uh, and show it off on something. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, And if you're a designer, uh, there are lots of PSI clients that are always looking for games. PSI was just at the Peach Day Hobby Distribution Show last week. They were showing uh, Casting uh, and <coughs> Chupacabra and a bunch of other really cool, really quick games from small companies like PSI. It's a really, really neat stuff. Uh, and they don't have to attend the trade show as themselves and incur the expense of taking out a booth for their own stuff. They can go in with another publisher, which we're also starting to see the solutions in the last few years. Uh, so, if you can, I recommend going to the trade show. Uh, the consumer shows, Origins of Gen Con, uh, and that there are a number of other issues in the two days, uh, are also very good for exposing uh, retailers and distributors to the product. The companies that wind up going to the consumer shows are ones that pay the recoup a large amount of their uh, cost of it and going to the show by selling product directly at the show, which you can't do the right trade show. Well, you kind of do, but you don't have to take money is on exchange at the yeah. show. Orders can be placed, things can be set up there, but there's no actual exchange of cash in the way that they're the consumer show. Is there any downside to going in with a, like kind of an aggregator at Gen Con or Origins? For example, there's an OSR booth, which pulls in a lot of Labyrinth Lords, Sources Wizardry, Osric, and you know they all frog more games. They all go together on one booth. Do you go? Right, so, so do the individual companies? If the individual company has a representative at that booth that is there to be able to have part knowledge on uh, on the product, there to be able to pitch people that come by. Generally, there's no downside. The downside would be, does it get noticed by somebody walking down the aisle? Is it, you know, is it merchandised effectively? Is there signage to people know about it? Uh, but in terms of... Uh, like, does it look bad to go in? Because, you know, you can't afford a whole booth for yourself, so you're going to go in... No, no, no. It doesn't look bad. The yeah. entire indie press revolution booth is that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Is them basically being a jobber for all these people that have just one or two games. And, and, and but in this particular case, it's... You know, all the, a lot of the publishers will show up and they'll kind of tag people. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. we've seen that. I've had, you know, I've had people push games that their uh, their colleague 
has it to do with also because they know about it, they play it in the choice program, they bring it into the team. There are quite a number of retailers that go to Origins Broker Gen Con specifically to seek out these companies because these companies either don't know about the game of trade channel or couldn't be pretty expensive or something going on there maybe just geographically. And to be honest, I mean, that OSR booth sounds like the best of both worlds because you're, you're, you're not incurring the expense of buying a whole booth for your one game, but it's specialized enough that the people that you, that are likely purchasers are gonna zero in on that. It's, find true, it. so true it's, it's not yeah. like you're the one OSR game in a booth full of all kinds of different games from different genres, right. you know. That's, I, I think that's, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's a great idea. Yeah, and it frees you up to then go actually run the game for people, you know, and, and, and put it down a couple hours at the booth. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Right, so, so barring having somebody to actually rep for your game, whether that's the retailer in the store or somebody at a show, if your game is sitting on a shelf, along with a whole bunch of other games, what is going to draw attention to it? Well, obviously, uh, the packaging. First thing you need to consider on packaging is the spine. Yeah, size and can it be seen with the spine? Yeah. Um, the larger, more attention grabbing your product is, the, the, was the ease with which it could fit onto a typical game store shelf and be displayed is going to drastically affect the visibility of, an, uh, of your product. There's a lot of game shops that will have a new rack where your product will be showcased for a week while it is new. And the following week, it'll get moved onto the uh, shelf with everything else while the next batch of newsletters on there. But if it's something that people can see and notice, it's going to work out. If, it's, if it is a digest-sized book, one would hope that the retailer, owing to the number of digest-sized indie books, would have a dedicated shelf so that all of the books on that shelf would be visible. Because a digest-sized book on a shelf with a bunch of standard-sized books when it's shown spine out, simply slides up into the shelf and disappears forever. And tell somebody's company if you're oh, what's this? Oh, that came out years ago. It's, uh, it's a really cool game, I think. Um, so the more, the easier it is to, to, to display, uh, the better it is for people to turn It needs to be attractive, it needs to be kind of cool, obviously. Yeah, and this is a simple test. Whatever it is you're doing, whether it's a role-playing game or, or a box game or a card game or something like that, just go, go to your house, in your living room, throw it on a bookcase, walk back 10 feet, see if, you know, does it stand out from everything else that's on the case? Is it somehow different? Can you clearly read the words on it? Um, and, you know, and if it's not, then you may want to think about it. <clears throat> Jim mentioned the spine. As much as every retailer would love to be able to show all of their products cover out and face out, and we would love to be able to have the space for it, and watch stores will. Watch stores will look at the inventory so they can do that. Watch stores 525 square feet. Only for one month. We're finally going to be expanding that down to the We went to a recession size store, which, kind of by necessity, almost all of our products are shown. Yeah, you'll get you'll get face outs like through the Rust Belt and maybe down through the Midwest, where people can rent 8,000 square foot stores for a couple of grand a month. But I'm in Westchester. Hmm. Uh, so, yeah, no, every single foot is very precious. You just. And we will obviously try, try to point stuff out that we think is cool that we know about. And we will have good retailers will try to rotate their stocks so that different things can happen. If you have a really interesting cover, then you know, there's going to draw attention. It's also going to help people get to be this way. What size is too big for a market? 
too big for a board game would be anything larger than settlers of the time. I would say, I, I would step up one, one space. Oh, like well, Dominion or well, Dominion's um, Dominion's Dominion's Dominion isn't bigger than settlers. Dominion's a big square, so it's, it's not. If you turn settlers on its side, yes, oh, the, the settlers, settlers on its side. If, if settlers were a square, yes, it yeah. would be the southern ones. Like, look at those. That's like, kind of the, your standard size. The, but you like can, the big square fancy play games are. That's kind of become a standard. Yeah. You can you can go to a size to a larger size. Uh, you can just walk around the corner and I've got, yeah. I've got them right, right in the chuck. Uh, the uh, Catalyst Game Labs, after uh, a couple of heart striking years, they finally managed to get out their uh, big part of the summer to buy these, which is a $100 super game. Uh, uh, this day, and this is talking with these like really cool uh, floating Edwardian pre dreadnought battleships, pre painted in China, and it's awesome. And it's a really big box, but it comes with a ton of stuff, so you know there's going to be. The values, and we'll get to value in a moment. Uh, Eclipse, which is an amazing seller right now, it's an oversized box, but it's a hundred dollar game. And again, if you're going to have a game with, you know, it's going to cost out a hundred bucks, one of the things that you do with your packaging is you say, yeah, I'm charging hundred dollars for this game. Look how big it is. Look, feel how heavy it is. It's got all this stuff in it. Uh, it's a little harder for us to uh, merchandise that stuff, but thankfully not everything is going to be that way. Uh, I'd love to be able to sell hundred dollar games so where it comes in, we'll get to the value of entry point. But there's also there, there's a little bit of a double-edged sword there because as the price point goes up, um, the as the price point goes up, the audience for that game shrinks. Yeah, the available pool of people that can buy and and that audience is more likely to be educated and and will seek it out at a discount online. Yes, so if you want to see it on a shelf in stores, that's something you got to keep in mind that over a certain price point. Discounts start to become more and more important to those people that are buying these games, and you know every like I gotta be really committed to bring in anything that's more than like 60, 70 bucks, because at that point people just look me in the eye and say, "I can save forty dollars buying it online. Why would I buy it from you?" And I have no answer to that. <laughs> you like me? No, that's not that's not a good answer. You know, for a twenty dollar role playing book, whatever, it's three, four dollars. You know, and they can play in the store and stuff, but. You start getting those big doorstop games. You know, we get some prestige by having it on the shelf and they look cool, but you know, the, the number of sales we're going to get out of something like that starts to. Uh, the, the pool of people that uh, would be willing to drop money down to try something is going to increase the lower the entry is for somebody that picks up. Which gets to something that, that we've seen a long time for role playing games, and we're starting to see it now in board games. It's kind of uh, but for role-playing games, we're using years and years ago, we've had basically two different types of customers. Uh, for role-playing games, we have a customer that are coming and be like, oh, that's unique. I'm going to buy it. They'll buy it, and they'll hopefully probably read it, and then they'll go around the shelf, and then they'll buy it. They'll never actually get one. They'll never actually get played. It's part of somebody's collection. It's basically a collection. They have uh, things that they like. It might be a specific genre that they uh, buy into all the time. It might be a specific designer that they buy into. Uh, on a regular basis, uh, but these are people that are amassing in the library from which they will pull from to run other games with, uh, but in large part are buying as part of uh, their, it, it's, 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 it's kind of in their wheelhouse that it's their thing. They buy games in this particular uh, style of genre, this particular design, whether they get played or not. It used to be with board games, you didn't really see that. The board game got played because somebody bought purchasing because somebody was going to sit down and play, uh, with the exception of which is the only counter in which is 
but with board games, more and more recently, as we've seen a lot of these European games come over, we have started to see a few people that are board game collectors that will go out and start to buy games by certain designers. And again, it's kind of fueled by the sort of thing, like games in certain styles or genres that they like that won't necessarily see play, although they still have a much higher chance of being well, what's fascinating about the indie role-playing game movement is that is that that's taking role-playing in the other direction. A lot of people coming out with games that are like $20, $25 buy-in, done in one night, simple, you know, there's no treadmill, supplement treadmill and all that kind of stuff, and it's, you know, a lot of these kind of story games. People seem to, what I'm noticing is that if you can, you know, if you can frame it the right way, customers will consume them more like they do, like they do board games like a traditional role-playing game that you have a you know old campaign and you have one game master and you know it lasts for years. Is there an opposite effect though that if something is too cheap, people will kind of perceive that it's not worth buying? Is it like <coughs> not necessarily. But if they pick it up and they flip through it and it looks as cheap as the price is, yes. But if something has a has a really low price point and you flip through it and it looks really cool, it's like a guaranteed sale. It could be out of the genre, it could be out of their, their preferred designers, but because the perceived value is there, it'll get purchased because what the heck, they have 1295, this is a I mean, that's the question. How old does the Savage Worlds Explorer Edition sell? Fantastic. <laughs> exactly. Although I've been able to sell the hardcover as well. But, right, but. But the hardcover will go to one or two people in the group that's playing. Everybody else in the group because it's only 10 bucks. I've had people go in and buy four copies. Just so they could loan out two consoles. Yes, yeah. yeah, you know the Marvel, the Marvel Baroque book that just came out in twenty is an astonishing yes, yeah, thing. So, so up until fairly recently, we're talking about the indie RPGs. Uh, stores uh, like like Jim's that carries an enormous amount of them. Stores like mine that carry probably more than anybody else in Florida. I'm still not quite the biggest chain, but people like to push them. Uh, I had always felt kind of really left out uh, for much of the last ten years because all of these really really neat and cool games were coming out that weren't available to retailers. Until IPR came along to try to help them a little bit, uh, and everybody. Uh, or they'd be these really, really awesome, neat, cool ideas that would come in a digest size book, about that thing, with no art and no layout to speak of. But they might be really <laughs> fantastic ideas. So the best ideas that have come out in the game are from role plays. Uh, not quite so true in board games. Board game production values are always extremely high. Much wider uh, market than going to role playing games do currently, and any role playing games even less. I mean, print runs up. Uh, Lightning Print helped small publishers put out really cool indie role playing games in print runs of 100 or 150, which means the store is probably never going to see it unless we call it like That has changed thanks to crowdfunding. Uh, now, uh, a publisher, if they've got a really cool idea, and they can put it up for everyone to see, and everybody else thinks it's just a really cool idea, uh, they can take in lots of uh, cash up front, basically sell the product ahead of time, and have the money to devote to things like production values, layout, art. And they can devote them to things like not necessarily lightning sourcing their book, and doing an offset print run, or printing a larger quantity, which is going to cut their uh, per unit cost down, which is going to lower the price of the book. But more importantly, from a retail perspective, it means enough of them are going to get made that they're going to make their way onto my shelf. 
and I'll be able to stock stuff that I wasn't able to get a hold of before. Uh, and it'll be better looking stuff at a lower price. And that's the next retailers are doing that. Because if those gamers want to buy more stuff, want to own more stuff, it looks really good. And if you do do a Kickstarter, I, I will tell anybody, any manufacturer that will, or the publisher that will listen, please include, you know, if you can swing it, include a retailer level reward in your Kickstarter. Because we've gotten in, we've like done like a dozen of them so far at this point. Um, and, you know, if it's something that we're interested in, um, four to six copies of whatever it is at half off, that's all we need. And, I, you know, like if you can include bells and whistles and stuff like that, whatever bonus material, that's awesome. That's what Suro did with their Suro and C's. Suro did a whole party. Yes. Party yeah. for the release paper. They pay for the pizza. Yes, wow. yeah, yeah. But we got like some bonus tiles and a couple little set of dice that were Kickstarter rewards. That if you bought, if you were a consumer that bought the game through Kickstarter, this is what you got. But as retailers, they sent us those that if we just waited and bought it for distribution, we don't get that bonus, those bonus uh, little bits with it. So four to six copies can be a lot for, for some retail stores to absorb. A lot of retail stores are just trying something that they don't know that much about. Uh, and again, something that if you don't know that much about it, it's hard for you to push it. Uh, the quantities might be down to two, three, four copy range. Yeah, I mean, if, if you can swing it, that's, if you can I mean, that's that, great. I mean, if you can do that, that's great. The, the, the Kickstarter somewhere that was helped earlier, uh, I think Fred uh, Hickson mentioned that uh, uh, on the Kickstarter page, when you're looking down at the different pledge levels, uh, that is where a retailer will really try to find if you're offering a retailer reward. We found there were some publishers that were at that some of them like, oh, well, we offered retailers things, but we didn't put it in the pledge thing, it went down at the bottom. Oh, yeah, no. Uh, somebody recommended, I think it was you, uh, said put it at the, at the top uh, for a zero, one, or two dollar thing, yeah. pay retailers. Oh, so, you know, yeah, sure. Uh, contact yeah. us, Yeah. and, and we'll, we'll, we'll hook you up with that. Yeah. If you want to yeah. use retail stores. But does that interfere with the Kickstarter policy that you only offer six? Is that ten, ten is, is this Kickstarter policy. Uh, oh, they think though that you're trying to get around that if you do it that way. No, it's up to it's up to ten. You can offer up to ten. Yeah. But even so, I mean, if you say, hey, hey, retailers, contact me and I'll hook you up. No, no. Couldn't be that you're going to get twenty or whatever. Yes, but if you, if you just put that at the top of your description, that's that's take, if, if Kickstarter doesn't want that done through Kickstarter, then just saying we're going to do this, but Kickstarter doesn't want us to do it, so contact us directly. That's, that's yeah. You know. Uh, or, you know, retailers, you know, we're open to uh, get some stuff out to you. Because if, if, if you don't do that, yeah. then the game's got to be pretty really super amazing. It's not going to send over for us to go the shop. But we have to wait until it comes out of distribution. An example of that recently was Zombicide. Uh, Coming or not, put it Zombicide, made like $800,000 on Kickstarter, and they got off for a retailer. So I did not support it. You know, it came with tons and tons and tons and tons of really cool extra stuff. Uh, it was still expensive. I was supporting a bunch of other stuff at the time. Uh, and I said, yeah, but I've sold five copies of Zombicide in my shop since it's actually released in the distribution. Uh, so had they offered that in the picture, they would have seen it up front, but I wanted to be into the video because it was awesome. But there are other things that I've passed on on Kickstarter that I'm, that I'm just hoping are going to wind up showing up in the distribution. And if they don't, it's not going to wind up on my shop. So if you can, please try to offer something, or at least make it, make it aware to us that, uh, that, you, uh, that you want to have your stuff available. Uh, 
uh, in the earlier seminar, Fred said when you're costing out you know, uh, what your uh, enterprise is going to be based on your income to He said shoot for uh, five times. The old formula that we used to use way, way back in the early days was 10 times. It would cost you $2 to, if you get a premium on, on your item, it was two bucks to get a $20 uh, retail price point. Yes, that's, that's changed uh, in large part because print runs have gone down from 50,000 copies to 10,000 copies to 5,000. Uh, and especially the electric source, when you're doing like 100 copies, 200 copies, the printing cost might be seven, higher prices on the end. Uh, and it's why we're so it's not quite as viable for a publisher to make that sort of thing available to a retailer if it is a if the book cost them 12 bucks to make, uh, they're selling it for 35, and the retail store would want to buy it for 17, but the distributor who's picked it up from them wants to buy it for them uh, at uh, about $15. Yeah. So you don't make $3 per unit versus the uh, $20 that you make. Uh, so if it's cost effective for them, okay, yes. Um. Two things, I suppose. Um, one, what is the Kickstarter, Kickstarter dollar value, grand total, that makes it uh, noticeable for retailers? If some, if a Kickstarter for an indie RPG makes forty thousand, is that a flag of this is a hot product? The retailers on the crowdfunding-friendly retailer mailing list will know about it well before that happens. We've got we we communicate with each other, you know about this stuff all the time. Oh. There's actually there's a mailing list where the retailers that are interested in are all on, on that list and we talk to each other and if one of us notices something that we think is worth looking at, we'll we'll, yeah, okay. we'll just shout it out to the crowd. There's enough early notifications. It's a very simple uh, just an email list that we use. It was founded this past Gamma Trade Show uh, by Dave Wheeler of uh, Director uh, Famous Comics and Fantasy uh, in Texas and he talked to a bunch of uh, retailers at the trade show and said, Crowdfunding, I think it's pretty cool. If you do, you might have this list so you see something that looks really neat that might be a good seller. But just to, to, to address what you said directly, uh, if I see a, a, an RPG that is funded for 40 grand, yeah, I'm going to pay attention to that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 40 grand, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and the other. Probably has a lot less. I've, I've funded RPGs, uh, and I've seen RPGs talk about uh, on that list. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, so the, the dollar value isn't necessarily, okay. And is it an expectation that you would be getting a product at 50% of MSRP shipping included by the publisher? Or is that a yes. nice to have if we can get it? That's the expectation because if the product were available to us in distribution, that is the price that we would like, okay. You get it for like 40, 46, 47 through distribution. So, um, and 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 if we got it for 46 or 47 through distribution, um, uh, we'd have their money for 30 days as opposed to the other way around. So, um, yeah. And that's one. Of, so, so the, the things to keep in mind about about why we like to buy through distribution is that um, I mean, there's three main things. One is. Um, that they have, uh, the, their job is to have expertise that we don't necessarily have. And we can go to them for information and knowledge and, and you know, consolidation and all that. The second is just in time ordering, so that I can have a store that has 
a hundred different games that have one copy each, and when it sells, I can put one copy back up on the shelf. But the third, and this is probably the most important, this is the most important, and I give Ryan Hansen credit for kind of pointing this out and being very, in, in, and putting it in a way that's very concise, is they provide financing for the retail sector, which is to say, I can order $2,000 worth of stuff from Alliance, I don't have to pay Alliance for 30 days or 45 days or however many years you've been in business that you can you know, push them to get that out, you know, or, or whatever distributor you're doing business with. But that 30 days means um, uh, I've got the cash flow for that time, so I'm not worried about it. So if, if, you know, if I'm buying my copies direct from you and you need to check right up front, then that, that goes into how many copies I'm going to buy and how much I want to spend and think that, you know, I have a budget for Kickstarter because Kickstarter ties that money up for months and I can't do anything with that money. But a certain amount of that stuff is good for prestige, it's good for looking like you're on top, it's good for looking like you know what you're doing, and a certain amount of those products are never going to be in distribution, which makes me look super cool when I go to cons and I have this thing that no one's ever seen anywhere else. Do you get the same thing to do as a, as a consumer support? Yeah. You know, yeah, I helped make this happen. This is cool. This is something I like to do. Uh, not every store is going to have uh, the operating model on the 30 My store generally, I pay for everything as it comes in. Oh, wow. You're crazy. <clears throat> I, you're out of your mind, If you make an error. Like credit, for, credit for free. It is. If you make an error, if you make an error, you you might be in trouble. So the way you fix that is by not making that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I, I also, on a lot of lines, I'll get a better discount <coughs> by, by paying for the stuff. Oh yeah, no. If you can, if you can get a, a discount bump by by paying COD, and that's one of the that's one of the ways you can make a you can give an inducement is early pay discounts, a little bit extra if we pay in front. But to to, uh, to entice a retailer to support you on Kickstarter, for the, first by putting the offer out there, yeah, it kind of needs to be at fifty. It kind of needs to be not. So much of the stuff that we're still going to have a bunch of copies three years from now. Uh, but if you can throw in something else that's kind of neat, also, even if it's something like you know, we're going to list you as a supporting retailer, and that's book, and that's a big deal that's, in that's, the book, that's, or that's or, or you have a website that says here's our preferred retailers because they support that's us just on your website. They want to give us support. Yeah. <clears throat> and, so yes, we have about ten minutes left, so we'll try to get the question. Um, so. Uh, one thing that it seems like I read a lot is uh, in board games, hey, this theme's been done forever. Where are the fresh themes at? If you have a game that has a fresh theme, wh what kind of, where does that put the retailer? Like, you know, if I'm giving you a zombie game, hey, zombie games sell well, right? Or if I give you a, a science fiction game, science fiction games sell well. But if I've got a really unique theme, um, is it going to be hard to attract a retailer to that just because, hey, I don't really know how well this theme's going to go over or not? It depends on the theme. And I, I could have a whole, I could open a zombie store. Zombie stuff sells well, but not necessarily all zombie stuff sells well. If you have a unique theme or unique idea, and it's something really super eye catching, or it sounds really cool, I would say in the RPG uh, roundtable earlier today, one of the guys in the only games who was working. Is uh, the players are all agents of a uh, psychic god emperor, and everybody in the, in the panel at the time was like, "Wow, that's really cool! I'm, in a, I'm ready to buy it right now." They're agents of the psychic god emperor. I'm ready to get it because yeah, I might have some sci-fi games on, but now that I know that, that's kind of cool. 
and things are, things are unique. If it's, if it's something that sounds really neat and interesting, yes. Uh, if it is different but not necessarily compelling, if it's just different because it, we didn't want to make a zombie game, or we didn't want to make a steampunk game, uh, we didn't want to make a ninja game or a pirate game, uh, we just wanted to do something else. Now, that being said, some of the most awesome, fantastic board games I've ever played have been the most boring things ever. Fun. Uh, but they're fantastic. Uh, I don't like uh, generally builder resource production games on the computer, but some of the board games are the my favorite board games are the Renaissance Italy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're going to organize a horse and buggy house. Yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, you're going to you know, build train tracks across the United States. One of the interesting things about the Euro game explosion is that uh, a lot of people, certainly kind of the dedicated board gamers, don't necessarily think in terms of, they don't think in terms of theme, they think in terms of mechanics. They'll say, well, this is a resource management game, um, but it takes place in, you know, whatever, in Mongolia in the 1200s. Uh, and, you know, they'll say what kind of game it is first, and then the skin is, like, less important to them. Yeah, it's actually one of the things that turns me off about you. There's, you know, there's, there's, there's Euro games, there's a Euro game for, like, every country. Yeah, yeah. Our game is Mauritius. Yes. And it probably is a Mauritius. But it kind of depends on, and to some extent that depends on, on who your audience is and where you're going to aim it. I mean, do you want it to be a hobby market product that you're selling to hobby market gamers? Or do you want to aim it principally at people who are fans of that theme, but then um, uh, 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 in an ancillary way you pick up some hobby games? And those are kind of, the, and that's a question you're going to. You're the guy with the car auction. Yeah, that's kind okay, of yes. that's kind of what I'm going for. Is I want to I'm going to do the crossover thing, right? Pull car enthusiasts. Hey, board gaming is cool, or board gamers. Hey, automobile collecting is cool, and so the you car know, stuff that does well. Car stuff will generally do things with cars. Trains, and transportation as a genre of board games is a genre of pretty well performing category because you are going to have the appeal not just for hobby game shops like us, but any type of collector that deals with that sort of stuff, gift shops and museums and places that right. deal with that kind of stuff are going to be very good markets. Yeah, and I have a I have a cable TV show guy who's interested in, in this, you know. But I just wondered, you know, is that going to lock me out of a market like the hobby game market because hey, this theme's really different. Nope. And nope. Morally more stuff. Okay, yes, sir. Perfect. I follow this. Uh, so I have a zombie game. <laughs> <laughs> no offense, by the way. <laughs> uh, no, actually, you helped me formulate my question. What does it take for a new game that's in a busy, if not over busy, genre to stand out in your guys' eyes? Uh, from, from from the retailer, when we hear about something like that, I know it's a new zombie game. One of the first things that we're because we're not going to get to see it while we're on the rep talking while we're on the phone talking about rep. If it comes out in the middle of the year and we didn't know about it because we didn't see it in the game trade show, we didn't see it in any consumer shows, we're going to do zombie game. All right, well, What's what, com what, companies, what companies putting it out? Yeah. How much is it? That's going to be the big Oh, it's 75 bucks. Well, it's 75 bucks. Like, well, yeah, $75 zombie game? That's going to like, better be great. Yeah. Uh, that might be interesting. Somebody comes back and it's, you know, oh, it's, you know, it's a $50 or $40 thing. And all right, who's it from? What can you tell me about it? If the rep that I'm on the phone with for my 15-minute phone call once a week doesn't have that information, then it's coming up on me to find out who's making it, go online, search for it, and find that information. So the best way to differentiate yourself is to get your story to know about it. Thank you.
Get yourself a woman that you can possibly Boy, in something in a busy genre, I'm just, honestly, that's the, the first question I ask. Okay, another question. Do you zombie game. Okay, what's different about this than every other zombie game? How would, how do you respond to this question? If, if I, if somebody walks into your store and says, I have a game you want to sell. Show it to them. Like, one-on-one retail. Yeah, show it to me. Bring it out of your bring it out of your If I'm not in the middle of something, I'm not running my game or talking to my three other customers, put it down on the table. Show it to me. So, you know, it, I would be very favorable toward purchasing something that the guy cared enough about me and my shop to bring something in and show it to me and he wants me to sell it, yeah, absolutely. Retailers, we really like to be remembered and appreciated, especially in the last like, 10 or 15 years or so. We're, we're, we're seeing a lot of sales that's going to go out the chain. Uh, we're being disintermediated. Yes. <laughs> uh, so if, if, you, if you show you're thinking about us, we're going to think about you. And just the, the last thing I'm going to say is, um, since you asked that question, um, always know how to sell us a game. Always be ready, so that if like if 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 we strike up a conversation at the airport, and I say, oh, that sounds great. How how can I buy your games? Have an answer. If I walk up to you at a, at a like I can't count the number of times I've walked up to a booth at Gen Con and seeing a new game and ask them, okay, are you, what, what do I do to get this as a retailer? And they don't have an answer for me. And, um, and, and, even if it's just, you'll be out through Alliance in two weeks, please buy it from them, that's, that's a great answer. But you know, know, know the answer to that question. And when a retailer is asking you that kind of, uh, that kind of, that kind of question, you feel pretty sure he's not going to sit here and listen to you for half an hour about how each and every game is playing what we're showing you. Or you want to some basic answers. <coughs> how, much, how much is it? How many players does it handle? complex is it, how long does it take to play? And then we'll make sure you So when you walk in to a retailer, you bring in the game, a good thing. Yeah. How important is the solution? You need some way for the retailer to contact you. Or contact you. It doesn't necessarily have to be a sell sheet. If you can bring the game in uh, and show it to the retailer, and even better, if you can say, I'll be back to demo it, Instead of a schedule, they call up ahead and say, listen, I'd like to bring my game down to you and show it off to you. Is there a time we can schedule you to come down and I can show it? The retailer can say, yeah, I'll bring a couple of my customers. Yeah, we, can we, watch watch whatever. Whatever. we have our regular Saturday morning and night. Yeah. You know, come at 7 o'clock in two weeks. We'll have time, so. Okay. And so the sell sheets you would use at holding your office? At, at the trade show, the sell sheets are important. Because a uh, retailer going to the trade show is going to talk to over 100 maybe. Time we get out of there, we're going to bring that some dripping out of our information. We're not going to remember any of this <laughs> until like, a week later when we get back and we go through that bag and start pulling stuff out. Oh, yeah, there's that really cool castle game that I saw. Yeah, that was neat. Like, I want to make sure that I remember that. So we have time for one more question. Anybody else? Okay. Thanks very much for coming. Thank you.